So, good morning, and happy birthday for apparently like a quarter of the church. <laughs> so, um, this month is Missions Month, and I promise this is the last time that's a big deal. If you haven't been here for the last three weeks, you may not know that international evangelism and discipleship and church planning are written into our DNA as a church. We exist as a church for two reasons. We exist to magnify the character and beauty and glory of God, magnify telescope, not magnify microscope. And we exist to shout about the character and the beauty and the glory of God to our neighbors and the nations. That's it. That's why we're here. Everything we do should either be highlighting the worth of God or shouting about it. So when we spend a month every year speaking about missions, or when we send our dear friends to distant lands, or when we devote time and money and energy serving those friends, we do it because it's who we are. And it's why we exist. Missions is our corporate responsibility. But it's also your personal responsibility. It isn't enough to send missionaries and to serve missionaries and to support missionaries as a church. We've now spent three weeks discussing your individual responsibility as an ambassador. Our calling comes with a calling. So here we go. One last time. You were not saved into the family of God merely to patiently await your redemption. You were not a beneficiary of the great trade. You did not wear the righteousness of Christ in order to wait it out until the dawn of the new kingdom. When God rescues sons and daughters, his embrace comes with a commission. You have been commissioned as an ambassador. We, the reconciled, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. You can't have one without the other. We have been given the message of reconciliation, and we have been sent out to broadcast that message to the nations. So if you've been paying attention, and I hope you have, you may have noticed that we've spent an awful lot of time discussing the nations and telling their unfolding story. We've spent a week remembering that the nations rejected their commission as image bearers and were scattered to every corner of the earth. They wanted to be like God without having to be like God. And God, in his mercy, said no. We also spent a week celebrating the Father's good plan to rescue the nations A plan that culminates in an invitation sent to the poor and to the broken and to the tattered rebel nations. An invitation to join him at his great kingdom table. We watched as the father drafted invitations to the crippled and the lame and the marginalized. And as he handed these invitations to his servants to be delivered in armfuls. 
And last week we watched as those servants began to run to the isolated nations of the earth to hand deliver these invitations. We saw the power of the Spirit at work in the missions movement. And we saw how Paul and Barnabas were sent on a mission to see the gospel broadcast from Jerusalem to to Judea, to Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. That was the beginning of a movement that continues to this day. And that's the story of the nations. So we spent a lot of time talking about the nations, but we haven't spent enough time talking about Jesus. Let me clarify. Jesus has never not been there, right? I mean, Jesus was the hope of the scattered nations, and Jesus was the content of the invitation that was sent. And the invitations were sent because of Jesus' finished work, and Jesus is the sender. And Jesus sent the Spirit to empower the sent. Jesus is all over the story of the nations. His rescue of his people made his commission of his people possible. And he's the one who said go. But while we may have seen aspects of Jesus' rescue mission, we really haven't devoted enough time to connect the work of missions to the work of Christ. And that's what we're going to do this week. See, for Paul, Jesus is everything about missions. He is the reason Paul's gone on mission. And he's the reason, he's the content of his message on mission. And he's the hope that keeps him on mission. Paul is perpetually talking about Jesus. And we're going to take a moment to look at Paul's connection between Jesus, the mission, and the hope of a new kingdom. Okay, that's what we're going to do today. Make that simple connection. And after we read, we're going to try and follow Paul's logic. And the work of Jesus, we're going to follow his direction to connect the work of Jesus and the hope of King Jesus to everything that we think about missions. So let's go turn to Romans 15, verse 8. Romans 15, verse 8. I'll read. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order, to t- in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise your name among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you, very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. 
For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by power of signs and wonders and by the power of the spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So that's a lot, right? And after a first read, not a lot of it made sense to me. But what I didn't know at first, and and what you need to know, is that this entire section is a single answer to a single question. So perhaps if we had the question, it might help us to understand how all of these things relate to one another. Luckily, we don't have to look hard to find the question because it's right there in verse 22. Read it with me. This is the reason why I have been so often hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I have longed to hope, since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So look, everything that we've just read is an explanation, an answer to this one question. Hey, Paul, why haven't you visited? There are Christians there in Rome. And they have questions. Probably this, this letter is written to answer those questions. But they had to write a letter in the first place because Paul, who, by the way, had been running to and fro in the Roman Empire for years, had never been to visit Roman Christians in person. And naturally, they wanted to know why. Because... Naturally, they wanted to see him and to meet him and to praise God with him. Paul was, after all, the vessel by which God brought the gospel to the Roman Empire. So these Romans, naturally, wanted to meet him. So all of this passage that we just read is an answer to the question, why haven't you visited yet? Now, Paul's answer is complex. But if you follow the logic, it makes a lot of sense. And that's what we're going to try and do for the next few minutes. We're trying to step by step follow the logic of Paul's explanation as to why he hasn't yet visited the Romans. So let's reread. Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Okay, so... Let's admit that that's an odd way to begin. And if you ever get a text message from your mom saying, why haven't you visited recently? Probably not the best idea to start this way because Jesus became a servant to the Jews to show God's faithfulness to his promises so that the nations might glorify God. It's probably not the best way to answer. But if you look closely, Paul's actually just said a lot. So let's carve out the first step in Paul's logic, okay? Jesus was sent 
to demonstrate the faithfulness of God and to shine the hope of rescue upon the Gentiles. Let me repeat that because this foundation is super important. Okay. Question. Why haven't you visited Rome yet? Answer. Jesus was sent to demonstrate the faithfulness of God and to shine the hope of rescue upon the Gentiles. Okay. Got it. Let's keep moving because as we piece this answer together, it's going to start making a lot of sense. Okay. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Okay, so still a bit weird, but follow the logic. Jesus was sent to fulfill the promise of God and to rescue the nations. Do you want proof? Read here and here and here and here. God's word is saturated with prophecy that Christ would come and King Jesus would rescue the nations. So the question is, why haven't you visited Rome? And thus far, the answer is, Jesus was sent to demonstrate the faithfulness of God and to shine the hope of rescue upon the Gentiles. God has promised that rescue in his word since the very beginning. Are we tracking? Okay, let's keep moving. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I myself, and this is important, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. What grace? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so his argument just took a turn. But keep following his logic. Paul has just referenced the promise of God to rescue the Gentiles. And then he turns his attention to the Roman Christians and he says to them, you are evidence of that promise. The fact that I'm writing to you as a reminder means that you have already heard and have already set your hope in the work of Christ. God's promise to rescue the Gentiles is unfolding. Jesus came to fulfill the promise of God to rescue the nations. And you are evidence that Jesus has accomplished that work. Your faith is evidence that Jesus' rescue mission. And my mission work is evidence of Jesus' rescue mission. Evidence all over the place that Jesus has faithfully fulfilled the promise of God. Your faith, my mission's work. Okay, so the question was, why haven't you visited Rome? And to this point, his answer is, Jesus was sent to demonstrate the faithfulness of God and to shine the hope of rescue upon the Gentiles. God has promised that rescue in his word since the very beginning. And you yourselves are evidence that God is keeping that promise. And I myself am called to broadcast that promise. Okay, so I'm sure it seems to this point still a bit fuzzy. But if you keep moving, I promise it's going to come together. 
In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So let's piece it all together. Jesus came to rescue the nations just like God had always promised. And the faith of the Romans is evidence that Jesus' rescue of the nations is happening right now. And Paul's missionary work is evidence that Jesus' rescue mission is happening right now. And as Paul continues to shout the good news about Jesus, people are setting their hope in Jesus. The power of God is working through Paul and people are trusting in Christ. Jesus' rescue mission happens when people preach the gospel on mission. And so Paul must keep preaching the gospel. There are yet nations that haven't heard about Jesus' rescue, so Paul must keep preaching the gospel. Okay, one last time. Question, why haven't you visited us yet? Answer, Jesus was sent to demonstrate the faithfulness of God and to shine the hope of rescue upon the Gentiles. God promised that rescue in his word since the very beginning. Your evidence that God is keeping that promise and I'm called to broadcast that promise. And I have labored day after day after day to broadcast the good news of Jesus to the nations because that's my mission to broadcast the promise of God by preaching the gospel to nations who haven't yet heard. So why hasn't Paul visited Roman Christians? Because Roman Christians already know about Jesus. The light of dawn had shone in Rome. But there was still darkness on the horizon, and Paul had been tasked with shining light into the darkness. Why haven't you visited? Because I've been asked to broadcast the promises of God. I've been handed invitations. They need to be delivered. You've already received the invitations. There are many who have not. That's my job, and I've got to be obedient. Paul wanted to visit Rome. He really did. He longed for it. But he couldn't. Because he'd been given a mission. Paul was on mission to demonstrate the faithfulness of God in the work of Jesus. Paul was on mission to broadcast the work of Jesus to nations who hadn't yet heard. That's why Paul couldn't come to Rome. He couldn't come because there was still work to do. And if you think I'm crazy, read the next few verses. This is the reason why I've been so often hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain 
and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. I haven't visited because there was still room for work here. Not all the invitations had been delivered here. That's why I can't come there, because the work's not finished here. Paul has been asked to deliver invitations to the poor and the crippled and the broken, and he hadn't finished yet, so he kept going. And look at this. He doesn't say, I'm done now in this region, so I'm going to come hang out with you guys. Nope. There's still boatloads of invitations to be delivered. He may drop by, but he's only going to do so on his way to Spain, where nobody knows about Jesus. Dwell, just for a moment, dwell on the single-minded obsession of Paul, the missionary. Where does devotion like that come from? He's got work to do. Yes, he'd love to visit, but he can't. Because every tribe and tongue and nation hadn't yet heard about Jesus. He cannot stop now. There are invitations yet to be delivered. That's the mission. And he's given himself to the mission. And just like Jesus was a demonstration of the faithfulness of God to rescue his people. Paul's obedience was a demonstration of the faithfulness of God to rescue his people. Paul is actually walking in the footsteps of Jesus by shouting about Jesus. And I want you to pay particular attention to the heart of his argument. Because that's the heart of Paul the missionary. Paul keeps driving. He keeps pushing. He keeps shouting the worth of God to the nations because he sees that Jesus is the only hope of the nations. Read with me one more time, verse 12. Right there in the heart of his answer, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Jesus is the hope of the nations, and Paul is the ambassador to the nations. The nations will never know hope until they know Jesus. Paul knew that the root of Jesse was the hope of the nations. And Paul knew that the root of Jesse would reign after the nations heard. So Paul will not rest until everyone has heard about Jesus. So we're here today to do two things. We're going to attempt to follow Paul's logic... And then we're going to attempt to follow his direction. We need to see what Paul saw so that we can make the connections that Paul makes. So I want to follow Paul to the root of Jesse. I want to see what he's seeing. And I want that vision of the root of Jesse to change the way you think about missions. Because if we see what Paul is seeing... We'll shout the gospel with as much faithfulness and we'll be obedient with as much tenacity. So I want everybody to turn to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. 
There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The son of David is coming. He's going to be a great king. And a great king will come and he will reign. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see, King Jesus, the spirit of God is going to rest upon him. And King Jesus, full of the spirit, embodies wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of God. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with his with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. You see, when Jesus King Jesus comes, he will fear and delight in God. And he will not judge men based upon appearances. And he will not be deceived by manipulative men. King Jesus will judge the poor and the meek with equity. When King Jesus reigns, the broken will be restored. King Jesus will rid the world of wickedness with a breath. Because King Jesus is righteous. And King Jesus is faithful. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the fox, ox. You see, when King Jesus reigns, there will be peace. King Jesus will defeat death so that predator and prey will unite in harmony under his reign. Little children will dwell peacefully with the lion and the leopard and the wolf. Behold, King Jesus makes all things new. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There is no pain or suffering under the reign of King Jesus because the earth will be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. All will be renewed in the reign of King Jesus. In that day, the root of Jesse who stands as a signal for the peoples of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. King Jesus stands as a signal to the scattered peoples. The nations shall seek him and shall find rest in his resting place. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, 
and from the coastlands of the sea. King Jesus will send emissaries to find his people, and they will be rescued from every corner of the earth. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The ambassadors of King Jesus will raise a signal and will shout of his rescue to redeem the banished of Israel and all the dispersed Judeans. King Jesus will find his people scattered among every tribe and tongue and and nation. This passage is a prophecy of the coming kingdom of Jesus. Where peoples from every tribe and tongue and nation will enjoy the reign of King Jesus forever and ever. No more pain, no more suffering, no more isolation. King Jesus is the hope of the nations. Now, if we circle back around, you'll see that Paul throws out this passage on purpose. He's answering the question, why won't you visit? Paul is pushing further and further. He's exhausting himself by engaging people group after people group. He is beaten. He is stoned. He is threatened. And yet he pushes on. Why? Why does Paul keep shouting about King Jesus? I think Paul keeps shouting about King Jesus because he knows two things. First, he knows that King Jesus is the only hope of the poor and the broken and the crippled and the lame. Paul knows that King Jesus will usher in justice for the marginalized, and he knows that suffering will cease in the kingdom of King Jesus. That's the first reason. Because King Jesus is the root of Jesse and because King Jesus is the hope of the nations. But that's not the only reason. Paul keeps shouting about Jesus because Paul knows that his shouting is actively fulfilling prophecy. Think about Paul reading the texts of Isaiah. He sees these words clear as day. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations. And he will assemble the banished of Israel, and he will gather dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Can you see it? Can you see Paul reading these words? In that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. He will raise a signal for the nations. Paul reads these words and he knows that's him. That's the mission. That's the missionary. Paul sees the extended hand and he sees the raised signal. And he knows that the missions movement is the dawn of the new kingdom. He sees that the extended hand and the race signal, and he makes a connection. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming, and that's the only thing that remains for God to rescue his people through the gospel. 
So every step that Paul takes is a fulfillment of prophecy. And every step Paul takes is one step closer to the kingdom of God. Every step Paul takes is a step closer to the reign of King Jesus. And that's why Paul kept going. That's why Paul got up over and over again after being stoned, after being beaten. He got up and he washed the dried blood off his face and he kept shouting because he knew that King Jesus was coming and he knew that the signal must be raised. Paul's hope was the same hope as the apostles. When every nation has heard about Jesus, then the end will come. And that's the hope of Paul. Paul's hope is in the root of Jesse and in the reign of King Jesus. And when you think about Paul marching through the markets, shouting about Jesus in the Areopagus, being left for dead, don't pity him. Paul is at the threshold of the kingdom of God. Paul keeps going because the end of suffering, the dawn of righteousness, the peace of a new creation may be only a nation away. Look back at Romans 15. Paul, take take a break for a minute. Just stop and meet some new friends in Rome. No, I must preach the gospel. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. No, I cannot stop. I must preach the gospel. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And King Jesus is their only hope. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I must preach the gospel. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. No, I cannot rest. I must preach the gospel. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him with the Gentiles hope. No, I can't take a vacation. I must keep shouting the name of Jesus because King Jesus is the only hope of the nations. That's why Paul kept going. And that's why we should keep going. We have a friend, Tara and I have a friend from Midland, Texas. His name is Ishmael. Um, and Ishmael, uh, he, was, he was actually a janitor. Um, and, he, and he spent his weekends uh, driving his car from Midland to El Paso. And he'd cross over the border and he'd go to Juarez. And he'd preach in churches. Okay, so... This was back when Juarez was in the news every day, right? When 15, 20 people were murdered in the streets every day. And our pastor asked Ishmael, are you ever scared? Is, are, you, are you ever terrified? You, you see the news and you're there every week. Ishmael said, not many weeks ago, I was preaching the gospel And I walked out of a building and I turned to my left and there were dead bodies in the street. I said, yes, I'm terrified. But I must preach the gospel. 
That's the heart of Paul. That's why he keeps going. And that's why we should keep going. The hope of Paul is the hope of the nations, which ought to be the hope of Redeemer Church and the hope of our missionaries. The hope of Paul is King Jesus. And the reign of King Jesus should keep us sending and supporting. The hope of the reign of King Jesus should ignite zeal for missions in our hearts. Look, we may lament the departure of dear brothers and sisters, but we ought to send them with shouts of joy because every step they take is a step closer to the kingdom of God. The threshold of the new kingdom, rich with peace, rich with feasting, without pain and suffering, that threshold may only be a nation away. So we must keep preaching the gospel. Pray with me.